Hi everyone, and welcome back to the podcast series, The Epic of Assyria. I'm your host, Sai, and today we're going to continue where we left off in the last episode. But before we get into that, I just want to thank all of you for your feedback on the last podcast. The first, actually, that I've ever done in my life. I was actually quite astonished at just how many of you like podcasts. I'm starting to really like them too because I can put a lot more detail and information into one podcast than in the normal 10-minute episodes that I usually post on the channel. Thanks to all of you who left feedback. I really appreciate it. Based on that, we'll continue with this series and the others that I have planned for you in the future. So, let's get back to our story of ancient Assyria. If you recall from the last episode, between the years 2000 to probably around 1850 BCE, the kingdom of Assyria, which in all honesty was just the city-state of Asher, was a great regional trading hub. It linked goods, gold, and silver from its immediate area of northern Mesopotamia with the peoples of Babylonia, Elam, and of course, the cities of Anatolia to the west. For those of you without a map in front of you, northern Mesopotamia, where Asher is located, is essentially northern Iraq, while Babylonia generally makes up most of central and southern Iraq. Elam was the area that today makes up much of southwestern and south-central Iran. When I'm referring to Anatolia, I'm speaking primarily of central and southwestern Turkey. Anyway, after about 1850 BCE, trade and commercial activities seem to have declined between Asher and its neighbors probably in large part due to the political instability that was affecting the region after the breakdown of the last great unifying state in the region, the Neo-Sumerian Empire. The year 2004 BCE is generally given as the date for the end of that empire. However, in reality, its decline had started much before then. One of the catalysts for its gradual decline and eventual demise was the consistent migration of Amorite tribes from the regions to the west of Mesopotamia. Many of these Amorite tribes took over a number of its great cities and established their own dynasties there. Babylon, for example, is the most famous of all of these Amorite kingdoms, but other cities in the south, such as Uruk and Larsa, also had their own Amorite rulers. The same was true in northern and western Mesopotamia, where great cities such as Aleppo and Mari had their own Amorite ruling class. Originally nomads and migrants to the region, the Amorites had done quite well for themselves in Mesopotamia and the surrounding areas. It's into this world that in 1836 BCE, another Amorite king, Shamsi Adu, would come to power. If you stretch it out, the name Shamsi Adu means, the god Adu is my son. Those of you familiar with the ancient polytheistic religion of Mesopotamia may recognize that the word Shamsi is reference to Shamash, who was the sun god. In Sumerian, his name is Utu. Adu is the Amorite name for the god who in Akkadian is called Adad, the storm god. Though Shamsi Adu is probably the name that he used most often, he is best known as Shamsi Adad the full Akkadian form of his name. This latter form is also how he's known in the various Assyrian king lists. In fact, there would be four Assyrian kings after him who would take Shamsi Adad as their throne name. So, due to these reasons, 
I'm going to refer to him as Shamsi Adad from here onward. The details of Shamsi Adad's early life are hard to confirm. It's believed that he was born in the city of Turka on the Euphrates River, just northwest of the great city of Mari in what's today northeastern Syria. His father, Ila Kabukabum, ruled a kingdom called Ekalatum on the eastern bank of the Tigris River. To date, the actual site, let alone the ruins of Ekalatum, haven't been found. We do know, though, that it was not too far from Asher. Along with Shamsi Adad, Ila Kabukabum had another son, Aminum. It's believed, though, that Shamsi Adad may have usurped the throne from Aminum, but again, this, as far as I know, has not been confirmed. During his early reign, of which we have few details, the neighboring kingdom of Eshnuna was expanding westward, and Shamsi Adad was in constant conflict with its king, Ipik Adad II. By the year 1818 BCE, Ipik Adad's successor, Naram Sin, had Shamsi Adad on the run. This, of course, is a different Naram Sin than the Akkadian king of the same name, who lived many centuries beforehand. Due to Naram Sin's invasion of Ekalatum, Shamsi Adad fled to Babylon and sought the protection of Hammurabi's father, Sin Mubalit. By 1811 BCE, Eshnunas Naram Sin had passed on, and Shamsi Adad left Babylon with a sizable force to take back Ekalatum, which ultimately he did. Three years later, in 1808 BCE, he captured the city of Asher. So, you might be wondering just what was going on in Asher a couple of decades before Shamsi Adad got there. That's a good question that I really wish I had the answer to. We don't really know because there's little archaeological evidence that tells us of what the political situation in the city was like. It was probably not as prosperous as in the generations prior due to the decline in trade from Anatolia. It probably had become a sleepy old town that had fallen on hard times. Perhaps due to this, it was relatively easy for Shamsi Adad to depose Irisham II, Asher's last king from the dynasty of Puzur Asher. From what we can tell from various inscriptions, Shamsi Adad seems to have liked Asher and lavished the city, its god, and its people with numerous gifts. He rebuilt its temples, and, being a powerful king, probably brought a sizable degree of prosperity to the city. In certain inscriptions, he calls himself king of the universe, builder of Asher's temple, pacifier of the land between the Tigris and Euphrates. In other instances, he took the traditional title steward of Asher. In yet another inscription, he addresses himself as appointee of the god Enlil, beloved of Asher. Enlil was considered by many, if not most at the time, to have been the most powerful god in the Mesopotamian pantheon. Shamsi Adad soon moved on to what's now northern Syria, where he campaigned against other kings and expanded his kingdom, which in actuality was more like an empire. There are several names for the state that he created, but the most common one that scholars use is the Kingdom of Upper Mesopotamia, of which Asher had now become a part of. Shamsi Adad moved his capital from Ekalatum to a city called Shekna, which he renamed Shubat Enlil. Though he spent a good part of his later life here, he was still addressed as the King of Ekalatum in letters and inscriptions.
So, why didn't Shamsi Haddad pick Asher as his capital? There were probably several reasons for this, both theological and practical. One was that, in theory, he could never really be king of Asher. That honor would always belong to the god Asher. In Assyrian society, there was no human king because the god Asher was the ruler of the Assyrian people. Instead, what we and others outside of Assyria would identify as a king was to the Assyrians simply Asher's vice-regent. The job of the vice-regent was to carry out Asher's will on earth. This vice-regent also ruled in conjunction with a powerful city assembly made up of Asher's most influential men, who could also be difficult to deal with. Another, perhaps more practical reason, was that Shamsi Adad's kingdom was expanding rapidly to the west, so it made sense for him to be based closer to the action. Thus, Shubat Enlil would prove to be a better location for a capital city than Asher. Now, I won't go over the entire history of Shamsi Adad's kingdom of Upper Mesopotamia because, to be honest, I think I've covered it to a reasonable extent in other programs on the YouTube channel, especially those dealing with Hammurabi and the First Dynasty of Babylon. Besides, we're also more focused here on Assyria, which at the time was really just the city of Asher. If you recall from the past episode, Assyria really means land ruled by the god Asher. Within a few years after taking Asher, Shamsi Adad's kingdom of Upper Mesopotamia had become possibly the most powerful state of its day, but it proved difficult to effectively govern. In order to consolidate his power, Shamsi Adad appointed his two sons, Ishmidegan and his younger brother, Yesma Adu, to be his viceroys of different parts of the empire. Ishmidegan ruled a section of territory in the east and was based in the old capital of Ekalatum. In 1782 BCE, Yesma Adu was put in charge of the wealthy city of Mari and the surrounding areas. Shamshi Adad would continue to rule from Shubat Enlil as well as campaign in the west. He not only took the title of Great King, but also began referring to himself in inscriptions as Shar Kishatum, meaning King of the Universe. Basically, he considered himself to be the heir of the great kings of the Akkadian dynasty of Sargon the Great, and like them, saw himself as the unifier of the disparate kingdoms of the world. His sons, though, could not claim the same honors, especially Yesma Adu. In fact, Yesma Adu seems to have been constantly berated by his father. There are several letters that have been found in the Mari archives during the time that Yasma Adu ruled the city. One of my favorite letters from Shamsi Adad to Yasma Adu, scolding him for his incompetence, reads as such. And yourself, how long shall we govern you? Are you truly a child? Are you not an adult? Is there no beard on your chin? How long will you neglect the administration of your house? Don't you see that your brother is leading vast armies? So, as for you, lead your palace and your house. In another letter, Shamshi Adad praises his older son, Ishmidegan, and uses him as an example for Yasma Adu to follow. Thus says Shamshi Adad, your father, When the army gathered in Kabra, I sent Ishmidegan with the army to the land of Ahazum, 
and I myself returned to Asher. But while the army was gathered in Kabra, the land of Ahazum heard about the gathering of forces in Kabra and took a decision. All the troops of that land and the Turukians who are with them gathered together and took position against Ishmidagan in the town of Ekalum in the land of Ahazum. Ishmidagan set out for that town, and at a distance of less than 300 cubits, all the troops of that land and the Turukians who had gathered with them came out in front of Ishmidagan to give battle. They did battle, and he defeated them. Not a single man escaped. And that very day, he seized the whole land of Ahazum. This victory is great for the land. Be happy. Here your brother has achieved victory while you are lying there among women. Now then, be a man when you go with the army to Katna. Just like your brother has set a great name, you as well must set for yourself a great name during the campaign of Katna. In all fairness, we just have letters between Shamsi Adad and Yasma Adu. Ishmedegan could have received similar letters from his father, but we'll never know until such correspondence is found. In 1776 BCE, Shamsi Adad died, possibly in battle. Within a few short years of this event, so too did the kingdom of Upper Mesopotamia. Yesma Adu was chased out of Mari by Zimri Lim, a man who claimed to be of the city's ruling family before Shamshi Adad had taken over. Ishmiragan survived a bit longer, but presided over a greatly reduced kingdom. Scholars believe that he may have only controlled Ekalatum and Asher, and eventually, he and his son became vassals of Hammurabi of Babylon. And so, in the 1760s BCE, the old kingdom of Assyria came to an end. What was going on politically in Asher during this time is a bit of a mystery due to contradicting pieces of evidence, specifically varying Assyrian king lists. According to one list, both Shamshiadad and his son, Ishmedagan, ruled for 40 years, after which there were seven kings within the span of only a few years. This list, starting with Ishmedagan as the 40th king, reads as follows. Ishmedagan, son of Shamshiadad, ruled for 40 years. Ashurdugal, son of a nobody, who had no right to the throne, ruled for six years. During the time of Ashurdugal, son of a nobody, Ashur Apla'idi, Nasser Sin, Sin Namir, Ipki Ishtar, Adad Salulu, and Adasi, six kings, sons of a nobody, each ruled for the beginning of a one-year period. Of course, during that 40-year period, Ishmedagan, as we know from other sources, had to give up his throne and flee to Babylon, and later on was probably little more than a vassal of Hammurabi. So how much power he had, and who the following seven kings listed after his name are, is a bit of a mystery. However, a fragment of another king list shows something different. It lists three dynasties, all in historical order, and separates them with dividing lines. One section shows the native Old Assyrian dynasty that preceded Shamsi Adad. The next section lists Shamsi Adad's Amorite dynasty, and afterward, a third section lists a new line of kings who were natives of Asher. 
For Ishmi Dagan's descendants, it lists Mud-Ashkur and Rimush. Other documents have verified that Mud-Ashkur was indeed Ishmi Dagan's son, though the number of years he reigned, along with this other character named Rimush, is not known. What some scholars believe is that perhaps Ishmi Dagan's descendants were weak and actually ruled Asher from Ekalatum. Hence, they're not mentioned in the first Assyrian king list and that these sons of nobody, who may have been members of Ashur's assembly, oversaw the affairs of the city as temporary, term-limited kings. Another possibility is that these sons of nobody could have been term-appointed viceroys of Hammurabi's or the Babylonian government who ruled Asher at the time. Locally, they could have been considered as kings. It's all very confusing, but wait, there's more. A separate inscription of a certain Puzur-Sin, who claims to have been a king of Asher, has also been discovered. The funny thing is, he doesn't appear on any king list. The inscription which is etched onto an alabaster slab states, When Puzur-Sin, vice-regent of the god Asher, son of Asher Belshami, destroyed the evil Asinum, offspring of Shamshi Adad, and instituted proper rule for the city of Asher. At that time, I, Puzor Sin, removed a foreign plague, not of the flesh of Asher. Remember, Shamshi Adad was of Amorite descent. Anyway, who Puzor Sin was, and how influential he was, is unknown. So my goal here was not to confuse you, but to show you how we have a lot of contradictory evidence that makes knowing exactly what was going on in Asher and the surrounding areas after the demise of Shamshi Adad quite difficult. The Assyrian scholar Shijio Yamada gives an interesting explanation as to what might have been occurring in and around Asher at that time. He states, It appears, however, that there were struggles between different parties for the throne of Asher around the turn of the 18th and 17th centuries BCE. From an ethno-linguistic viewpoint, three major groups could have been involved in the events. The first were the native Akkadian-speaking citizens of Asher, whose view was fully represented in the inscription of Puzor-Sin. The second were the Amorites, who were led in this region by the descendants of Shamshi Adad I, and who presumably ruled with Ekalatum as their capital. There were also the Hurrian-speaking groups, who had kept some influence over the city of Asher from the beginning of the second millennium BCE, as suggested by some Hurrian names included in the earlier parts of the Assyrian king list. Yamada goes on to say, It is also possible that there was tension between the supporters of different philosophies of kingship, Traditional Assyrian royal power was limited and counterbalanced by the civil community, represented by the city assembly as seen in the old Assyrian period. This traditional civil order must have survived into the transition period and may have clashed with the more universal kingship style adopted by the Amorite kingdom of Ekalatum. So again, as often is the case with ancient history, a lot of unknowns. Of course, Assyrian history doesn't end there. Though a brief Dark Age did follow, a few centuries after Shamshi Adad, 
Assyria would be at the center of a new kingdom that would eventually call the shots in the ancient Middle East. There's so much more to come, about another 900 to 1,000 years more. We'll be covering all of this in upcoming episodes, so make sure that you're subscribed and stay tuned. Thanks once again so much for joining me. I really appreciate it, and I hope you learned something. For more information on ancient Assyria, please either check out the other episodes of this podcast or the videos on the History with Sai YouTube channel. Thanks again, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Take care.